asking a Presbyterian to preach in a Baptist church. Well, the fact of the matter is that I'm very humbled and privileged and honored to be here this morning before you. And let's open the word together, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1, verses 7, 1 through 7, 1 through 7 of the first letter of John. This is the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we or proclaim we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So far the reading of God's word. Well, the the first epistle of John was written by John, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit in the late 80s or early 90s AD. So some 50 years after Jesus was crucified and risen and ascended into heaven. And the purpose of this book is to, as we read in the first verses, that we might have fellowship with the apostolic church and with God and with his Son through the Holy Spirit, that we might have assurance of our faith. And First John also has various tests that we may discern true teaching from false teaching, true Christians from false Christians. And so in this passage, we're going to look, of course, at the introduction of, the, of our text is the few, first few verses, there the Apostle John takes pains to proclaim what he's heard and the Apostles heard and what they saw, what they handled, what they touched, even the word of life or eternal life that those terms are used there, which is Christ, which is Christ. And they proclaim him because he was incarnate, because he was manifested to them. He was shown to them and they saw him and they handled him. And this is the amazing thing about the apostles. One of the qualifications to be an apostle was to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And they fit that qualification. And they proclaim this to us. And then, of course, the passage takes a turn, so to speak. 
it, it goes from Christ, or what we call Christology, the study of Christ, it goes over to theology to talk about God. And this is our text. In verse 5, it says, This is the message which we, the apostles, have heard of Christ and seen in him and, and was revealed to us by him. And we declare and proclaim this to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we might ask why? Why this change from Christ to God in general? Well, I believe there are several reasons for them, and we're going to delve into this. But let me just state one of the, or some of these now. We want to be sure that we know what our Savior is, what, what kind of a Savior we have, how wonderful he is, how beautiful he is, that, that he's the brightness of God's glory, as Hebrews 1 verse 3 says. And we want to, we want to know what the gospel is. We want to know how wonderful the gospel really is, and never take that for granted in our lives and in our hearts. And thirdly, I think an implicit reason is that we want to learn to fear God, to think of him in every situation, even on our worst day, and give him glory, and know who he is, that we have the privilege to know the living holy God. So these are some of the reasons. Now think with me, light, because our text speaks of God at light, as light. Light was created first by God on the first day through the word of life, through Christ, through the Son of God. Earth cannot exist without light. Hmm? There would be no life. There would be no quality of life. Light warms, it nourishes, as we well know. It comforts, it sustains, it lifts our spirits. It is, quite frankly, the light of physical life. And now, of course, our text declares that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who spoke light into existence from thick darkness, is himself light. Ah, the world could not exist without God. He's, he's the creator, the eternal creator. There would be no life. There would be no quality of life without God. No mercy, no love, no goodness, no justice, no compassion, no salvation, no comfort, except through God. God, God lifts our spirits. Because he is light, light, light. Now this is the first truth, I would say, of the gospel. If we don't know this, that God is light, we will never understand the gospel. Because the first truth of the gospel is about God, not about us, but about God, who he is. So let's look at it and ask why and how, and how this affects us, how this truth is useful to us. God is light. 
Let's look at it first positively, and then we'll look at what God is not. I take this from, from Van. He often says what it is and what it is. What it is, what it isn't. So I follow in your footsteps, Van. But first, let's look at the positive truth. This is the message that was heard and seen in Christ, says John. And he proclaims it to you that we might have fellowship. There's no gospel without this truth. Light means in this passage moral and spiritual perfection. My lexicon says that when this word phobos in the Greek is used of God, it means a special radiance, a pure radiance, a perfect brightness when it's used of God. In other words, we're talking about perfect holiness of character, which always ushers into perfect righteousness of action outside of himself. Perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. First John also says in chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. God is love. John's gospel says that this one holy true God is truth. John 14, verse 6 says the Son is truth, the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 17, the Son says about the Spirit that he is truth. He's the Spirit of truth. John 17, verse 17 says that his word is truth, our means of sanctification. Well... Exodus 34 already, verse 14 says, God's name is jealous. So God is several things. What, what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his very essence, in all of his being, is, is all moral, spiritual perfection. Pure, radiant light. Pure, radiant light. That's why 1 Timothy 6, verse 16 says, He dwells in unapproachable light. No one of us can approach him because he is this light. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it. So all his attributes, all that lives in him, works together perfectly in perfect dazzling brightness of sinless purity and complete perfection. That is our God that he has revealed to us. And Matthew Poole puts it this way, all perfections and excellencies perfectly concur and converge together in one being, simple, holy, immutable, eternal. That is our God. That is our God. Well, we can use several verses immediately, and I like to use those in my prayers as I walk down the road in Hartfield at six o'clock in the morning. I say to myself and I say to God, great art thou, greatly to be praised. You are un your greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 145, verse 3. I say to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of thy glory, Lord. 
every morning, this morning anew as well. And I say thirdly to God, as you say in your, on your wall, the words of Revelation 4 verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is the eternal one, light. And I say to God from Isaiah 11 verse 36, For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I say from Lamentations, oh, I can't resist saying from Lamentations, as Judah was in captivity in Babylon, Jeremiah says, Great is thy faithfulness. Thy compassions are new every morning. Do you believe these things? This is the light of God, our God, the light of God. All things operate in perfect holiness and changelessness. He is never less than he is. He is never one item, one iota, less than he is. He is immutable. That's why Malachi can say in chapter 3, I, Jehovah, I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, you are not consumed. He is always faithful even though we are unfaithful. Well, now that means several things, doesn't it? One thing it means that he is, as God, is infinitely above any and all criticism. We have to realize that, don't we? He's infinitely above any criticism. He decrees evil. He decrees harm. Amos 3, 6 says, has evil come to a city, but that God has done it. That's true. But he does all this without blame. God is not to blame morally for any of these things. But he's in full charge of all these things. This is our God. He's in full charge of these things. He is light means, as John Calvin once said, he makes all things so manifest by his brightness that he suffers or permits nothing vicious or perverted, no spots or filth, no hypocrisy or fraud to lie hid. He exposes all sin by being himself as pure radiant light. And again, John Calvin says, and this has to do with our passage, there is separation between us and God as long as we walk in darkness, in the darkness of sin. The fellowship he speaks of in our passage cannot exist except we also become pure and holy in his sight. And therefore we speak of the gift of justification by grace through faith. We cannot approach God unless... We are justified unless we're in a right relationship, in other words, with his law because Jesus kept his law perfectly all through his 33 years in this world. Think of it. As a child, he kept the law perfectly. He never sinned. 
tempted in all ways such as we are, but never sinned because it was impossible to sin. He is light. He is light. He is so, so light. Well, now let's, let's take up the negative side of what God is not. That's our second point. In him is no darkness at all, the text says. Well, that's a double negative, and double negatives usually in English class, we learn that amounts to a positive. But not here. Not here. It's simply there for emphasis that we might know for sure once and for all what God is not. He's not about sin. Hmm? Darkness at all is not in him. And this phrase literally means darkness in him is not none. None. That's what it means in the Greek. Zip. Zero. Nada. Nothing. At all. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Psalm 5. Just for a minute. Psalm 5. In verses 4 through 6, we read something of what God is not. For you are not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy them that speak lies. The Lord will abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That is our God. That, that's what he cannot stand. In other words, God is the polar opposite of Satan, whose business is sin. He is the prince of darkness with all his demons and his people that are loyal to him. In other words... God give us an understanding heart to realize there's no sin in God. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Therefore, we should never think of God as being unfair to us. It's impossible. Or unjust about anything that we've experienced. He hates all evil. He hates all injustice. An evil conscience, any corruption or pollution in my heart or your heart, in the heart of man, everything that has to do with the darkness of sin repulses God. It is an outrage to God. It is an outrage to God. In other words, God never is prejudiced. He never shows favoritism of any kind. That's about us. That's on us. He never manipulates us as we often kind of accuse him of. He never plays with us. He, he never plays us, as they say. God is not that kind of a God. He's not cavalier. He's nothing like that. He never changes into being just a little less light than he is. No, he's perpetual, pure radiance of moral, spiritual perfection. Change is all about us, isn't it? 
Change is all about us. That's true. Limited sinners. So, what does that mean? It means that we may complain to God, as Jeremiah did several times in his book, in terms of we can pour out our hearts to God when all things seem very confusing and overwhelming and everything seems black. We can pour out our hearts to him, but we may never complain about him. In other words, we should never complain about our circumstances. Oh boy, I know this is a tough one. Because sometimes our circumstances, what's happening to us at a certain moment, is really not so good. And we hate it and, and we're totally uncomfortable with it. But you see, when we complain about our circumstances, what are we doing? We're complaining about God. Because God decreed our circumstances. He, he decrees everything that happens. He brings it about for his own purposes, which we don't fully understand. So, that's our God. Now, that is why the gospel is such incredibly good news to us. Incredibly good news to us sinners. This truth of God means that for any fallen sinner in Adam, and that means all of us, for anyone dead in sin, and that is what we all were, and maybe someone here this morning still is dead in sin, we don't know, for anyone to have fellowship with him, for anyone to be found to be the friend of God, to have fellowship with the apostolic church, the true church of God, he sent his son, the brightness of his glory into our flesh, to live in this world for 33 years as perfect light, perfect light. It had to be done in such that he leveled his just wrath on his son in our place. He took the curse of the law. It had to be done. There was no other way. God is a perfectly just God. Man sinned, man had to pay. God had to become man to pay. That's the gospel. Hmm? And so that Jesus experienced all the pains and the agony of hell in those hours on the cross. He did that for you and me. And such that he cried out, and why wouldn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for us out of his great love and pure, spotless light of love. And that is why, you see, we sinners must be born again. We must be born again from above by God's Holy Spirit and thereby come to faith in Christ alone to be reconciled to, be for, to, to this one only true living God of light. Are you born again? Are you all born again? You should ask that question. You should have a good answer this morning. 
Oh, what a wonder is a verse like John 3.16, and we know it so well. For God, what a wonder this is. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish eternally in hell, but have everlasting life. What a wonder. Do you know that wonder of redeeming grace in your heart and in your life? If not, this God calls you this morning. This God calls you to Christ. If there's someone here for whom this whole text that I'm preaching on seems like some fairy tale. It's too good to be true. It's just, it's just way, way, way beyond us. If that's the way you feel about that in, in this morning, you see, God's wrath is coming, isn't it? He's coming. It's ripening in our society. You see it, don't you? You feel it, don't you? It's coming. His wrath. You've got to flee that into the arms of Christ. And then you'll be saved. Reconciled to this God who does live in all the glory of heaven. And Marvin read it this morning. Out of Zion, in Psalm 50, out of God, Zion, out of the church here, God shines. God shines. What a, what a beautiful text. Because he's light. Because he's light. But see, if you do believe in Jesus Christ, and you know, you know yourself to be a sinner, and you know that Christ is your Savior, you've come to believe in him by grace, and you're justified, and you're being sanctified, <clears throat> This text has amazing use for you. What use is it? Much in every way. Much in every way. Well, let's go through just a few uses of the text. I'm, I'm being a Puritan here. They always went through the text and then they had the uses. huh? So you're having a Puritan preacher. All right. You'll put up with me. All right. Well, in the first place, this truth, God of light, God is light, should make us truly humble. You know, humility cannot be crafted by us. We can fake it, but it isn't real. But since God is light, and we are not, as our brother Brian often says, he is God and we are not, that's a good truth, that's what we're talking about this morning, it should make us very humble, very humble. It should make us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, as Romans says, but modestly. And we should think as highly as we can of God, as highly as we can of God. And this truth, in other words, will be very humble We'll recognize that we're worms, as someone said. We're just specks of dust. We're just vapors, as the scripture says. We should realize this. 
But we'll also at the same time, we'll realize that we don't need to fear anything. We don't need to fear anything in this world. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 27 when armies were attacking him. He said, God is my light. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And we shouldn't have anxiety either, sinful anxiety either, because of what it says in, in Philippians 4. Huh? Take, have no anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and lives and minds. How this text transforms our prayer life. What a God we can talk to. We can pour out our hearts to. We can confess to. And he will do right with what we say. He will do perfectly because he's perfect light. He's not our buddy, but he's our God, our Father, our Abba. He is a wonderful God, wonderful God. So it should make us humble without fear of man and without fear of anxiety. And this truth also should make us love our God, shouldn't it? Yeah. How can we not love this God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves? How can we not do that? How can we not want to serve this God and serve each other as this community of faith, this body of Christ? How can we not do that? Because we all have this God of light, of unapproachable light for our God. And this truth will also teach us to want to obey his commandments. Huh? To be light, as our pastor has been preaching from Ephesians, you are light in the Lord. Jesus said it already in Matthew, you are the light of the world, he said. Because we have fellowship with the light of the world. Well, should, in other words, it should make us be content. This truth should make us be content, as the Apostle Paul said he had learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. We can be abased, we can abound, and in all of it we'll be content because we have this God who loves us and sent his son for us and loves us even when he's disciplining us. It's an act of love, perfect love. I found that out. He loves us in discipline. It's amen to that. And that means, you see, we will obey his commandments. We will be content with his provision. We won't covet. We won't covet the things of this world, what other people have. We'll be very thankful for what we have, for what this God in his mercy gave to us. That's all we need. That's all we need. We'll be very content to labor with our hands six days a week as unto the Lord, as unto this light, 
and then the seventh day, now the first day of the week, to engage in a special day set apart, as our pastor rightly said, for worship and service and works of necessity. We'll be content to do that. All ten commandments, huh? not nine, ten commandments. And we'll, we'll learn to trust this God. Huh? How can we not trust him? But sometimes we act like we don't trust God, right? We really do. And that is, that is sinful. And God understands our hearts when we're grumbling, when we complain about our circumstances, when perfect light has ushered in these circumstances for his glory in us. Well, what I'm saying is, as Thomas Watson says, God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. That's a kind of a convicting statement, isn't it? Yeah. Let me say that one more, one more time. God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. In other words, when we think of Job, Job was a just man, it says. He, he was justified. He was a man of God. But he had one lesson to learn yet, and it came out, in that he... He criticized God for giving birth to him. He, he wished he had never been born. He became critical of God. He, he needed to learn this lesson of childlike trust. And, and I don't think I'm any better than Job. And I don't think if I can say so and not be presumptive, I don't think you're any better than Job either. I don't think so. So we all have to learn this lesson, but this text helps us with this lesson, doesn't it? It helps us to have childlike faith, childlike faith on our worst day when things all seem very bad. When we're sick, when we're in pain, when we're busy and we can't do all the details of life. What do we do? Do we start complaining and grumbling or getting angry or worrying? Well, I do sometimes. And that's sin. Then we have to confess our sin before this God. Isn't that so? It's true. But what should we do? We shouldn't ask why. We can ask why, but we probably won't get an answer to that question. But we can ask who. We can ask who? Who brought on these circumstances? Did the devil? No. Not ultimately. God is in control of the devil. He is light. He brought in these circumstances for, own, for his own purposes. So we ask who? And we bow down when all things seem very, very confusing. We bow down in worship. That's what we do. We bow down in worship to this God of light. We don't have to understand him fully. We see through a glass darkly now. We do. We admit that. I admit that. You should admit that. But this God is light, whether we understand it or not. He is light. Pure, dazzling radiance of light. And that means one, one more lesson, finally, 
as Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery when everybody else had left, you remember that story. It's a wonderful story. He said, go and sin no more. What did he mean? He didn't mean that she was never going to sin again. That's just not right. We know that that's not true. He meant go and live a life of repentance. That's what he meant. Surely, that's what he meant. And that's what he means for us because we're always falling short, aren't we? Always falling short if we're self-aware at all. We're always falling short of his glory. Even though we're infinitely precious to him, we're falling short. And we need to change our mind every day about God and about us and be sorry for what we did to God. Not sorry we're caught, but sorry to God, even with tears of repentance, and turn again to God, turn again to this light, and find in him all that we need, all that we need. And that's how I want to close this morning. We're on our way to something, aren't we, as, as Christians? We're on our way to a celestial city. We're on our way to where it's all light. We're on our way to as a place where Jonathan Edwards says, a world of love, a world of love. That's what we're on our way to. And he's going to provide for us. That's what Paul says to, to the Philippian church and to us. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. You believe that text? He will supply all our need along this way, this narrow road that we're called to walk. Not the wide road, not the expressway, not the interstate, not the multi-lane road, but the narrow road. That's the road that we're walking on. And the God of light is going to provide for us all the way along until we get to glory. And I want to illustrate that this way. Valerie and I used to do some hiking, not much anymore. We like that. And one, we used to go up, we lived in Vermont. Sometimes we'd go up to New Hampshire to the White Mountains to do a little hiking. And we enjoyed that. And one time we heard about a place called Tuckerman Ravine on Mount Washington on the north side. So we went there early in November. And it was in the 40s when we were on the trailhead there at the, at the bottom of the hike. And we walked up. And of course, it got a little more difficult and a little more difficult and a little more difficult. And then we started to see snow on the ground. And the temperature started to go down. And yet, and then we got into the ravine, which is a big bowl, a beautiful, beautiful bowl. And upwards is the height of the Mount Washington, over 6,000 feet high. And Valerie waited patiently, which she is very infinitely patient, I find this out, waited for me in a little hut. And I walked on. I wanted to experience some more of Tuckerman Ravine. So I walked on, and the snow became two to three feet deep. And I was trudging through this snow, but I was exhilarated. I was exhilarated because it was so beautiful. So beautiful. And then I went back, of course, to tell the story. Now, 
That's the walk we're on, isn't it? It's becoming increasingly hard in some ways. The world is a cold world. We have more and more problems, especially when you're my age. You've got aches and pains, you've got difficulties, but God gives them to us so that we'll look away from the things of this world and they'll seem strangely dim and we'll look more to heaven. I think that's why God gives us these difficulties, so that we'll, our hope will blossom. And that's what I felt on that hike. I felt this is something glorious and it pales in conception in comparison to what we're going to go through in heaven. Well, we're going to be there. So I encourage you this morning. I encourage you. Keep your head up, as Jesus said, and look. Look, to, look above. Where, where Christ is coming on the clouds of heaven, he will come one day. You believe that? Don't be a scoffer now. Things have gone on the same way from the beginning. No, 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 they haven't. There was the flood and so forth and so on, says Peter. No, no, no. Jesus is coming. He's coming. And he will take us home. He will take us home. So, yes, in all your problems, I'm speaking now to the older ones like myself here. Look above. Don't look down. Look above. Don't be like Peter who was on the waves walking to Jesus and he looked down and he began to sink. Look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, dazzling light of Jesus. Look at him. All the time, look at him through faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God. He will provide for all your needs along the way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text, Father. We don't get it completely yet, but you are sanctifying us, and you will sanctify us, and we will like it. Lord, we will love it. We will love you more and more every day because you first loved us and had pity on us and revealed yourself to us and sent your Son for us. Dear Father, Give us understanding hearts. That's our prayer. Give us understanding hearts. Help us to walk by your commandments in wisdom, not in foolishness, Father. Help us to be patient, long-suffering with each other, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, Father. Thank you for such unity in this church. And now, Lord, be glorified through us sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's by grace through faith that ye are saved. A faith that's not your own. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, the gift of God to you.